Well, we are drawing toward the conclusion of our discipleship journey. Uh, by the way, it's good to have Brother Isaac from Ethiopia with us stand. He is or from Nigeria, I'm sorry, minister from Nigeria. He's been here once in the past, thankful that he could be here with us tonight. But we've been on a journey, a discipleship journey, and uh, it began in January, and we're about to reach the conclusion of it. We've tried to do it on Wednesday nights, a few interruptions, but we have explored the building blocks of our spiritual life. First of all, I pray that it has been rewarding. More importantly, I hope that it has underlined how essential and how necessary these principles are to our life and to our existence. The scripture says that there arose a generation that knew not uh, God nor God. Uh, Joshua, who was God's leader at the time, and without the lack of that knowledge of God, uh, you see what transpired and the unraveling of Israel began. And I believe that as apostolic people, that if we ever get away from and forget the importance of what has made us who we are, there will also be that unraveling process. And I certainly want to hold on to those things. We're going to wrap all of this up in a couple of weeks. I think Brother Starks asked me, he could not be here tonight, asked me to correct a mistake he made last week, that this would be our last week. Actually, next week is the last lesson, which he will be teaching And then the next week, we're going to have a great night of celebration. And I promise you tonight, I'm not going to break the news of what it is, but I promise you, you don't want to miss that Wednesday night. And for those that uh, know anything about me, we always have a few surprises up our sleeve. It's going to be a great night celebration. And we'll be sharing with you some of our plans for July and August for our Wednesday night services. Tonight we want to explore a precept and a concept of our relationship with God that is so critical and that is separated for a purpose. Have you ever been mistaken for someone, uh, another person? You ever had that happen to you? Typically, what makes them make that comparison? Why are you uh, seen as someone that you are not? And it's typically because they see a family resemblance. You look like and you name that person. You ask them. I, I know all of us have have even seen people in life that we said out loud. They look like, and we name that person because they have such a strong resemblance. In life, it is customary. It is expected. (laughs) It is anticipated 
that our offspring is going to have some resemblance of us. At least we hope so. So when we talk about the reflecting of the image of God, what we're really talking about is you and I being a mirror that reflects the God who has given us new birth and new life in Him. And as a born-again child of God, our lives reflect how God has saved us. We are the byproduct of His mercy and His grace. And aren't you thankful for those two wonderful things? Mercy and grace. None of us would be here. We're washed. We're cleansed. We have been made whole. We've experienced the forgiveness of sin. And we have enjoyed and are enjoying a restoration of relationship with God that sin had shattered. And now we have the privilege of walking in what Paul called a newness of life. A new way of living. And since our lives reflect His salvation and the work of His grace and the work of His mercy, then it would only stand to reason that if He is, has become our Father, that if He is our Savior, then certainly in our lives so should our actions reflect Him. So should our everyday life, our conduct, our activities, our behavior, our dealing with others, the way that we live should literally magnify His message, His Word to our lives. His Word, His precepts, His doctrine, the way that we live, walk, talk, act, breathe, exist. We should do it all as a reflection of His glory. The way we live our lives and the priorities that you and I have in our lives should magnify Him and exalt Him. Our lives should always be a magnification of His holiness, His uniqueness. We praise Him not only with our words, but we literally praise Him with our lives by the way we live on a daily basis. It's important that we understand that, that my praise is not just what I do when I come to church on Sunday or Wednesday, but it's what I do on Monday when I get up in the morning and what I do on Tuesday when I go about my daily activities because my life now that it has been ransomed and bought should be a reflection of the one who has ransomed me and bought me back. Our lives should magnify Him. And so my prayer tonight and your prayer should always be that we would walk worthy of the calling that He has placed upon our lives. As new converts, we are encouraged to follow a lifestyle that is foreign to us and 
that is often a struggle for those who begin this new life. We do not, listen to me, we do not encourage people to pursue a certain lifestyle nor a certain dress code. We encourage people to pursue Him. That is the most important thing I can tell you tonight. Because if we get that out of order and we only encourage people to pursue a certain lifestyle or a certain mode of living, then we have really only produced hypocrisy and Phariseeism. Because there were many who could do it within themselves. But what we have been called to do is live a life that within ourselves is not possible. But with the Holy Ghost that He has put in us, He enables us to be conformed into the image. And when we are conformed into that image, we begin to reflect His priorities, His Word, His Spirit, His holiness. So we are not encouraging people. And I know apostolic people kind of get labeled sometimes as that all we're worried about is getting you converted to a new dress code. That is not true. We are trying to get people converted to pursuing Him. And in the process of pursuing Him... It has its way of affecting all the other details of my life. And so pursuing Him is when I respond to His voice. Pursuing Him is when my life becomes a mirror of Him and His likenesses that is recorded and revealed to us through His Word. We, re- we, we pursue Him as we begin to grow in the fruit of the Spirit and as a result of this pursuing Him, there is this evidence of holiness in our life. This likeness because He is holy. That is His nature. That is His character. That's His DNA. And we passed our DNA along to our children. How many of you have heard of Ancestry.com? If you don't want to find out things you don't want to know, don't ever go there. But it has become extremely popular in our world because people want to know who they're kin to. And I heard just yesterday or day before of a a man who, or, or someone who wanted to find out about their lineage And in looking at ancestry and doing this DNA composition, they discovered that they have a direct biological match for a brother that they didn't even know about. How could they do that? Because as parents, we pass through our genes a DNA that is a reflection of us. And when God births us in His Spirit and by His Spirit, 
he come in with that birth, that new birth experience is a DNA that should begin to reflect him. Now, as a baby, sometimes they don't always look identical to you. But as they grow, that resemblance becomes more obvious. Sometimes they, 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 they are seen further down the line of, of parents or grandparents. But when we pursue him, then there is that evidence in our life of his nature and his holiness. Now listen to me, Greater Life Church. If you don't take anything else home from this service, please take this home. If our holiness is not the byproduct of wanting to reflect his image, then we have only taught people how to be hypocrites and Pharisees because you can put on a show that does not truly reflect who you are. Now, I grew up in an area where it was very popular for people to judge people by what they looked like. It was very evident, and a lot of preachers took their text when they saw somebody walking in the back door that didn't look like, you know, what we're supposed to look like. And I grew up struggling with that concept. Is that how we judge who we really are? And the Lord began to show me that there is a resemblance and there will be an evidence of that resemblance if you have truly been born again. But this is what you never do. You never make it a dress code. You make it a God image. Because when it's a God image issue, then you and I have to deal with that. And the image that God portrays of himself in scripture is that he is holy. He is unique. He is a one and only. There is none else like him except you and I have that privilege of being a reflection of him. Amen. In our holiness, it must be a byproduct of wanting to reflect him, not a dress code of a church. Not that a dress code is not important because McDonald's has a dress code. When people say it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, okay, I'll take you up on that. I can prove to you without any question that you don't really believe that. Because all it takes is for me to take a good piece of of T-bone or a good piece of filet mignon and layer it with some cow, whatever, manure or whatever and, and present it to you and say, now listen, it doesn't matter what's on the outside. Now I'm sorry to be so frank, But the fact is, there is a difference. And what is on the inside should be reflected on the outside. It should not be a contradiction. But I've learned this, that people can learn how to live a certain code. They can learn how to look the look. 
But when you part the curtains and look behind the scene, there's nothing back there that tells you that what you see on the outside is genuine and real. God wants you and I to be truly holy from the inside out. It doesn't begin on the outside. It begins on the inside. And if all we do is try to change the outside of people, but we don't work on the inside of people, then what we have created is a monster. Amen. The great illustration of this is found in the book of Ruth. It's the story of a woman by the name of Naomi. Her husband and her sons traveled with her to another country because of a severe drought. And during their stay there, which was at least 10 years, perhaps longer, her husband died and her two sons. In the process of living there, her two sons had married two young ladies from Moab. Left alone and with these two daughters-in-law and without a means of surviving, Naomi decided that it was time for her to return to her homeland. And so she told Oprah and Ruth that they, they, they could go back and they, they could find other husbands and go on with their lives. But the Bible says that they went with her for a distance and then there came that critical moment of decision and the scripture says that Orpha, uh, who faced the same decision as Ruth faced, decided that she was not up for the journey. And so going to a different land and going to a different culture and a place which would be a foreign language to them, Oprah decided that was not what she wanted. And so she decided to stay in the land of her upbringing and remarry there and start over, but not Ruth. Ruth said, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lodge, I'm lodging. And when Ruth made that choice, she in essence was separating herself from an old life and an old lifestyle. And she was opening herself to a different land, a different culture, a foreign language to her. But it didn't stop her because of some love she had for Naomi. And so both of them journeyed back to Bethlehem. The long story short is that they pursued this new life, though at the moment they were both broken and in bitterness of soul. But it was there in Bethlehem that Ruth met a man by the name of Boaz who was a kinsman. And according to the order of the rule of the day, that if a son died and there was a kinsman who had the right of redemption or the right of as a redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, they could actually purchase their land back. They could marry the woman and have children by her and in essence become the surrogate father of that man who died so that his lineage would not die with him. And this was Boaz and she happened to go to a field 
where Boaz and his men were working. And it was there that the real story of the book of Ruth unfolds. It was here that this man uh, met this woman by the name of Ruth. And if you read it, go. I, I encourage you to go read the book of Ruth. It's short and uh, listen to what happened and transpired there. What's interesting to me is that when Ruth embraced this new lifestyle, when she embraced this new way of living, it was different than what the Moabitish culture had been. But evidently she had learned something from Naomi about who Naomi was and She embraced that in completeness and totality. So much so that in the second chapter of Ruth, there are things that are noted about her character, her actions, the way she conducted herself, the way she carried herself, spoke volumes to those that saw her. Her actions affected those that were around her. And Boaz even noted when he finally met Ruth, he said, oh, I know who you are. You're the woman. And he names what she had done for Naomi and how faithful she had been. And the reason for wanting to redeem her became evident. This is an opportunity. And then in chapter 3, it is noted that Ruth was a virtuous woman. Now, I want to ask you a question. How did they know that Ruth was a virtuous woman? How could that be? How could Boaz have said of her that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it proper and there's not going to be any scandal involved because all the city knows that you're a virtuous woman. Obviously, Ruth had lived in a way that conveyed to those around her who she was. And she acted and dressed in a way that would not lead people to wag their tongue or be suspicious. And so, how could they know except by the way she Lived, and so Boaz married Ruth, and Mary, and in marrying Ruth, a son was born that would become the father of a man who would become the father of another man who would become the father of David, in the very lineage of Christ Himself, and it all began here. The most important thing when you study the book of Ruth is that Ruth evidently fully embraced and pursued this new lifestyle and this new life and her actions showed that. And in showing that, she glorified the Lord. Ruth chapter 4, if you want to read it, read verses 14 and 15 when you get home. And it seems to indicate that Ruth's actions were the inspiring example of what living a new life really looked like. And she was that example to everyone. 
So let's look at what God's purpose for all people is. God's purpose for all people is that every person be restored to a right relationship with Him. What was lost in the fall is regained and recovered in the work of reconciliation that Christ has done in our life. And when we serve Him, His purpose then becomes our purpose. His desire becomes our desire. And we live to glorify Him, not us, not our lives. We don't live so that people will say, look at them. We live so that people will say, what is it about them that makes me attracted to them? What is it about them that makes them stand out and are, makes them so unique? And we glorify Him when our lives point people to Him, not to us. Amen. Very important. Our lives should always point people to Him, not to a code, not to a denomination, but to a loving God who wants to save them. That should be where we always point them. Listen to how Paul describes what has happened to you and I. It's going to be put on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation But it reads like this. It said, Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Verse 18. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself. And given us, in turn, the ministry of reconciling others to God. Verse 19, in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping record of their transgressions. And he was entrusted, and he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors, verse 20, of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God, listen to this, we are ambassadors of the anointed one and we are those who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. You see, from the beginning of time, it has always been God's purpose to make a way for every person to know Him. If you read the Bible, you will discover that the Bible is one long story of God's effort to interact with mankind. What he created in his likeness after his own image. And the fall through sin and and rebellion and going away from what he had instructed them. 
God's story has been an effort of bringing back into harmony and reconciliation. And the purpose of God from the beginning of time was to bring us back to a knowledge of Him and a relationship with Him and to let every person know Him. Amen. What's so interesting to me about this is that if you really want to know what kind of God He is, go back to Genesis 2 and 3 and watch how He interacts with His creation. He doesn't do it with the trees. He doesn't do it with the animals. He doesn't do it with the fish. He doesn't do it with any of the cosmos. But He does it with man. He does it with that what was created in His likeness. And in chapter 3, the Bible gives us a little glimpse of what actually went on in the garden on a continual basis. That he came to them in the cool of the day. There was fellowship. We don't know how long that went on. I would imagine it had gone on for a long, long time. That sweet fellowship. Why? Because God wanted his creation to know him. He wants you and I to know him. Not just about him. Not just to hear of him. But to know him. And the Bible is God's story of how he interacts with his creation. And through his grace he defeats the powers of death and sin. And the purpose of God for you and I was to become flesh. So that we might know that reconciliation I am so thankful tonight that we have been reconciled but the job doesn't stop there that's only the beginning and here is the wonder of the new birth a divine exchange has taken place the old order has passed away to a new order he has separated us from sin and death we now possess His righteousness. We are seen in His righteousness because we are being reconciled to God. And what a rich word that we are given here in this text in the book of Romans is that we are reconciled to Him. What what does that word reconcile mean? It means that we are restored to friendship. That we are brought back into a right relationship with Him. That we receive or are received back into favor. That we are brought back into harmony. So that's the whole purpose of His coming. His redemptive plan was to help restore in us that relationship that sin had shattered and in this newness of life it becomes our privilege in this new way of life it becomes our privilege to live a life of holiness separated unto him living unto him not our flesh not our desires not our whims but unto him and we could not Do that on our own. That is evident. If you want to read the book of Romans chapter 3, Paul goes into detail and makes it critically clear that you and I could not do right. No one could be made right by doing it himself. We are made right, Paul said, through him. 
the power of sin was too great for any of us. Only he could break the hold that sin had over mankind. And in the process of breaking that hold, he began the restoration of relationship. And in essence, listen to me, in essence, separating us back to him. Because that's what real holiness is. It's separating unto him. It is separating unto his purpose. Listen to how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. It's going to be on the screen. And again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us. The hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he has, was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Our new lives are the result of the work of Calvary and God's grace. But God said, I'm not expecting you to make that a solo journey. I want you to take somebody with you. I want you to bring somebody along. And the way you're going to bring them along is sharing with them what I have shared with you. Anybody been born again in this building? Then as a born again child bearing his DNA and having those genes in my life now, then I should be concerned of bringing someone else along with me that I don't do this by myself. We're now called, we get to participate in this ministry of reconciliation. That when we go out and tell others about him and we share what God's done in our life, we become integral to that work of reconciliation and we become involved in helping others discover what we have experienced. You know, the great tragedy of a lot of people is they have forgotten what they've experienced. Sometimes we live so long in this particular way that we forget what it was like when we were sinners. Does anybody remember that night? Does anybody remember the guilt that sin laden you with and the burden that it placed up the condemnation and then that night of glorious deliverance and liberation? Praise God. I can take you... The building is gone, but I can take you almost to the spot in that location when I was on my knees before God crying out to Him for Him to change my life and fill me that He poured His Spirit into my life and began that process of reconciling and and bringing me back into relationship. And, And since that time... I want to tell you something, folks. When you discover something good, you want to share it with people. Amen. 
you find a nice restaurant, you like to go eat at a good place like Taco Bell, man, you get on the Facebook and you tell everybody about how great Taco Bell is. You know I'm being facetious because somebody has labeled me as loving Taco Bell and I, I don't. But the point is, we share those things. How many things have you shared on Facebook today? Things that you like, recipes you like, things, colors and pictures and decorations and all of these things, things that attract your... Why do we share them? Because we want other people to share in that with us. And Jesus said, that's how we ought to feel toward him. We ought to want to share that with everybody we come in contact with. We shouldn't be ashamed of what he's done in our life. We should be willing to share. And when we do that, we are helping others discover what we have known so long. Amen. That brings us to our next consideration. And that is that we are separated for a purpose. We are not separated. And I'm going to use a verse in a little while. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 Peter writes, and he said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. And a lot of people think that word peculiar means weird, odd, wacko. But that's not what that word means in the least. It literally speaks of something of possession. That it is a treasure that I have become a, I am a treasured possession of him. And so through the death and the burial and the resurrection and the subsequent outpouring of his spirit in my life, God is restoring humanity to himself. He is bringing us back into that relationship and Paul as he always does, so eloquently describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 the effects that his work should have over our lives. And he, in this passage of scripture, he references something of a veil that was before the face of God's people. They, they could not see God for who he was. They were separated from him because of their lack of understanding and he said, now in Christ that veil has been removed. There's, there's nothing to separate us so that we can see him and know him and fellowship and embrace him and not live in ignorance of who he is. Wonderful thing that I, I, I thought about this afternoon in that passage when Paul is referencing this time when Moses in particular, he was referencing the time when Moses was upon the mountain to receive the law. And what is so interesting to me is that when God gave Moses the original law, the encounter that he had with God in that mountain was transforming. Because the Bible said that it made his face to shine. There was such an image that had come over him. There was such a reflection of glory that when he came down out of that mountain, he had to put a veil over his face because Israel could not stand to see what God had done for him in that mountain. 
That's what should happen to you and I. The giving of the law was inaugurated with an experience of glory and splendor that Israel was not able to look upon in their present nature. The evidence of God's presence was on Moses' life. Listen to me. If God would do that to a man that he only gave ten commandments to and a tablet of stone, what would he do and what does he desire of those that he said, I'm going to write my law on your heart. It's not going to be on tablets of stone. It's going to be within your very heart. I'm going to write with my own finger my law in your heart. No wonder when people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they shout and dance and jump for joy. Hey, God's not going to make anybody do anything they're not comfortable with doing. He's not going to embarrass you. But here's what I want you to understand. That when you come into that experience of His glory, there is going to be some kind of evidence on your life that there has been a transformation. It's not going to be just a nod of your head and I believe that and nothing changes in your life. Amen. There was transformation. Amen. And that separated Moses from all of Israel. And so it is when God comes in there, there is this, we're different now. And we don't have to be confused about our difference. We're, to, we're not here to hide our difference. We're here to just let God's image shine through us and reflect through us and become an evidence to the world that something has happened in that person's life. Listen to me. If people can be around a spirit-filled person on a daily basis and not know that there's something different about my life, there is something wrong with my life. If I'm around people on a daily basis and there is no witness in my life, they hear me talking like the world talks, they hear me doing or see me doing the things the world is doing. They see me loving the things the world and embracing the things the world is doing. Don't call yourself a true born again child of God unless there is actually a reflection there. Because when, the, when you have been in his presence... There's going to be an evidence of it. There's not going to be any mistake whatsoever. Somebody's afraid to say hallelujah right now, but maybe, I'm, maybe you're shell-shocked right now, but you shouldn't be. Your life, my life, it should have that imprint on it. It should have that glory about it. There should be something about our life that people stop and say, you know, you're different than the rest of these people. You don't act like them. You don't talk like that. You, you don't live like that. How a believer should show forth the glory of God. I cannot emphasize that enough. So, how are we supposed to be involved? And we are supposed to be involved. This is not all stuff that God does. You know, sometimes people teach that that God does all of that. You don't do anything. But that's not scriptural. It's not biblical. He did his work. 
But in turn, he expects you and I to participate in what he's doing in my life. And so, here's how being separated for God's purpose, this is how that uh, is supposed to come about. First of all, that I believe that he is the Messiah, the one and only. There's nobody else. There's no other way. There's no other option. Brother Hughes, that's pretty narrow and bigoted. I didn't make that up. God is the one that spoke those things, and I believe his word. So I'm not confused about that. I believe the gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection, and that is the foundation of my redemption. I die in repentance. I am buried in his name in baptism and I rise to walk in a newness of life when he fills me with his spirit and God calls me and calls you to respond to what he's doing in our lives and allow him to do more. Amen. And such begins the process of reconciliation. We rise to walk in a newness of life. And then there's the separating of ourselves for God's purpose. And that involves, first of all, the transforming of our minds and our thinking. Listen to me tonight. Romans 12 and 2, Paul makes it very clear. But as I live under the influence of sin, my thinking is not in line with God's thoughts. But when I am renewed, when I am, my mind is renewed and refreshed, then my thoughts begin to reflect Him and His ways. And his image. God doesn't expect you and I to do that alone. He has empowered us with many aids. Number one, he's given us his word. And if there's no greater transforming tool in the world, the word of God is one of the most powerful transforming things that I can tell you to get into. You may not understand a lot of else. Just go to the Word. Start reading the Word. Let the Word fill your mind. And watch that Word as it fills your mind. Begin to reorder your priorities. Reorder the things in your life that are, are, are of value and those things that are unnecessary. And you begin to lay aside those weights and the sin which does so easily beset us. The psalmist understood that. Read it, Psalms 19 and 14. He understood the power that thoughts have in our life and how we must bring them under the influence of God's Spirit. When we study and meditate on God's Word, our thoughts become anchored in Him and they become anchored in that God influence. And in that God influence, we begin making wiser decisions. Ephesians 4.23, being filled with His Spirit, is learning how to hear his voice. And in hearing his voice, it will help change our attitude. In Philippians 4 and 8, Paul said, if, if you can learn anything, learn this. Whatsoever things are pure, 
And he goes off on a list of things. He said, being delivered from the control of sin, you and I are empowered to make decisions concerning proper thoughts. And when our minds are focused on the things of God, His purpose becomes our focus and our desire and the world fades into the background. And then we do this by asking the right questions. So important and I'm going to hurry. Asking the right questions. What gets most of the attention in my life? What I focus on. That's what gets the most attention in my life. Now, my question is, what is there about my life that reflects God's desire for me? What is the focus of my thoughts? We need to pray that our actions will always reflect God's purpose. And we need to stop and ask Sometimes some valuable and critical questions. Ask questions about direction. Is this going to bring me closer to Him? Is this going to help me more reflect Him? Is this going to be more in a line with His Word and His purpose? And when we do this, it will help separate us unto God and His purpose When we, listen to me, when we stop asking questions, when we stop asking questions of ourself, of our direction, of our desire, then temptation and pride get a hold and they gain a precedence over our lives and our wills. But when we take the time to ask, Question, will this glorify God? Will this lead me closer to Him? Will this be more like Him? Will people see more of Him in this action? When I stop to ask those questions, then I ensure that my heart is aligned with God's purpose. We want to talk about the pursuing of holiness. When sin came into the world, it marred and distorted the image of God that was upon man. God's purpose has always been and still is to restore that image. And we've talked about that. When we are meant to reflect His holiness and Him, then we are moving into alignment with His will. God has called us to a life separated, different, unique, Rejecting the pursuit of those things is rejecting Him and His purpose. Listen to how it's said in Romans 6. And again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Romans chapter 6 verse 20. He said, For when you were bound as servants to sin, you lived your lives free from any obligation to righteousness. So tell me, What benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of? What did you gain? It left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. 
But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. Praise God. Is there anybody glad that you serve the Lord tonight? (laughs) Oh, yes. You know what? This is the great party you can be involved in and never go home wondering if you embarrassed yourself or wondering, what did I do? Amen. Praise God. When God begins to do a work in my life, the blessings that ensue from this separating that takes place unto Him. You see, that's how it was in the beginning. God created all of the world and the cosmos and everything that's in it. And then he created man. And he separated them and said, these are different than that. You're not like a monkey. You're not like a giraffe. You're not, I don't care what people say about you. (laughs) You're not like a donkey. You're not like a, a mule. You're not like a mountain. You're not like a tree. You're created in his image. And when he created man, he separated man and said, this is mine. And that's what he fellowshiped with. Now, when he came, the trees moved, but the Bible doesn't speak of him as conversing with the trees. It said, man, I'm so glad you're growing today. He commanded them to grow. They don't have an option. But he breathed into us. And in breathing, he imparted that Nature, he imparted that imprint that we're not like, we're unlike anything else in creation. So don't let anybody try to convince you that we came from some genetic line back there, that we were hanging from a tree, or we were running wild through the forest, or we were the trees, or we were the fish, or no, I. I was made after his likeness. And he said, and now that he's come and, and he has brought reconciliation back into vogue and into view, now he's doing, he's separate, he, he, he's bringing us to himself so that when we come close to him, there is this reflection. Our life becomes a mirror. And when we go out in the world, there is this, there's this awe, there is this spirit, there is this, uh, aura about our lives that makes people understand there's, there's somebody that there, you must be a Christian. You, there must, there, there, there's something about you. I remember reading the story about some people that worked in uh, a, a, a perfume factory in, in England years and years ago. This is back at the turn of the century. And they worked around these rose leaves and the, and the process of of, of, of turning those uh, things into particular scents. And, and there was this aroma, this aura, that wherever they went, it was in their clothes. And when they would leave the factory and go home, they brought that with them. Listen to me, church. We should not just experience something in here and it stay in here. There ought to be something that happens in here in his presence that when we leave here, it goes with us. It's like that aura. It's like that fragrance that just goes wherever we go. Man, wow, that's, that's wonderful. That's, where have you been? And the Bible said they took note 
They were ignorant and unlearned fishermen, but they took note. They have been with Jesus. It is a shame that in our world today, too few people can really tell what it is that possesses the vessel. It should never be that way. Amen. Praise God. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper, listen to this, into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. Again, the passion. For God's call on our lives is not to a life of compromise and perversion, but to a life surrounded in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this instruction isn't rejecting human authority, but God himself who gives us this precious gift. His spirit of holiness. Amen. How do you and I reflect him? I think Paul said it best in Colossians 3. If you begin at verse 12, he begins, and you could put it up in the King James Version. I've got a different translation, but it doesn't matter. Colossians chapter 3. I don't know that I gave them this one. Chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, Listen to what it says. You are always and dearly loved by God. So, so here's, here's what you have to get. This is your obligation. This is your and my responsibility. He did this. You're always and dearly loved by God. The King James Version said, Put on, therefore, bowels of mercy. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the selected, the chosen of God. Bowels of mercy, kindness. And so, when you and I go into a world that doesn't know anything about Him, We don't go out there telling them necessarily about tongues or the gifts of the Spirit to begin with. We go out there showing them tender-hearted mercy and kindness. And he lists all of these things. Humility and gentleness and patience. Making allowance for each other's faults. Forgiving one another. Even as we were forgiven. Woo! It really is quiet. And then he said, above all these things, clothe yourself with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives teaching and counseling you with the wisdom that He gives, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with with a thankful heart. And whatever you do, listen to it. The, The New Living Translation says, and whatever you do or say, do it 
as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks for him. So how is it that we can reflect him? How is it that we can show the world what he is like and who he is by doing all those things that Paul mentioned there, tenderheartedness, tenderhearted mercy, kindness. Now I want to ask you a question. And there's a list there. I'm going to ask you to go home and read it again. But when you start hearing a list like that, patience and gentleness and kindness, what is it that sticks? It's like... What, what, it, what is it in that list of things that are mentioned there that's hard for us to do? Well, I'm not very patient. I'm not always real kind. Then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Join me. I'm not asking you to do what I'm not doing. Ask you to join with me. And let's start praying, God, would you strengthen me? in those areas where I am weak so that I can truly reflect you to the world so that somebody will want to come to know you. Here is what you and I have to understand about holiness. Listen to me right now. Holiness is not about us. It's about Him. It's about who He is. And it's about us reflecting Him in our life. It's not a human invention. It's not a denominational requirement. It is the power, listen to me, it is the power of God that actually frees me to live life fully. Amen. And when a person quits looking at what they are separating from, very important. When you stop looking at what you're having to give up and realize what you are getting, what he has given you. Come on, folks. You're giving him rags. I gave him rags. They were so dirty and tattered and torn, you couldn't weave them back together and make a garment of any kind. But I gave them to him and he in turn gave me a robe of righteousness. He gave me his likeness. (laughs) He clothed me with his beauty, his wonders. We should not be ashamed of that. Amen. Praise God, I need to hurry. I'm closing. You can stand with me. The important thing for you and I to realize that in this journey that we have been on, this spiritual journey of living for God, it is never a once and done thing, but it is a continual process of God working through us. None of us have made it yet. Hey, if you had made it, I assure you already, you would have been translated because the world couldn't stand. (laughs) Amen. But I'm still here, and I struggle at times. I know you don't. I know 
Every time I look out at this congregation, I see so many halos and wings and just glows, this aura about you. It's like the magnificent. <laughs> Whew. I wonder what I'm doing up here. But this guy, this man here, I live in a fleshly house that sometimes gets the best of me. And that's why I have to go back to my knees and I have to go back to the Lord and ask Him to forgive me. Because number one, I don't want to be a hypocrite. But I do want to reflect His love and His mercy to a world. But I struggle from time to time. But the great news is He's not through with me yet. He's still working on me. Aren't you glad? You know, if you hang around here long enough and the Lord didn't come, you may see Him bring me to a better place before. I may be a better preacher and pastor before. It's, and who knows, you may be a better saint. Amen. What a thought. This new life of holiness is a continual journey of separating ourselves for His purpose. Sometimes we struggle but my action should call attention to him and his message and his purpose and his holiness. I'm going to read it, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He said, but you are God's chosen treasure, priest who are kings, a spiritual nation. That's what he made us when he filled us with his spirit. A spiritual nation. When God did the work of reconciliation through the New Testament new birth experience, He created an entire new nation of people. Christian. Children of God. The reflection of His image. He said, you are priests who are kings. A spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience His marvelous light. And now He claims you as His very own. He did this. He did this. Can you read that last part with me? He did this so that you would broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. So that who would do it? So that you and I would broadcast. I called my brother before service because he's the, he's the Greek expert. I only know a, a little Greek and he owns a restaurant down in Galveston. But he he can read it and not just talk it, but... The thing that interested me about this verse is that when you read it, the word should is in there. But in in the original text, it's not there. It's put in there to give continuity of thought. But the emphasis is that it is an action that was started and an action that continues. It's not something that you did You got a t-shirt for it. Now you're done. But it is an action that is started that is continued. That you should, 
Show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is what he and I began discussing. The words that are used there in the Greek, one of the words speaks of, uh, it calls us literally an angelic being. That he likens us as born again children of God that he likens us to his angelic host. And here's, here's what I told James and we, we started is that God in Old Testament times when God wanted to get his message to the world, what did he do? He sent an angel. He wanted to tell the world Messiah was come. What did he do? He sent an angel. But in this New Testament time, he has said, now I'm going to empower you to do what the angels now. And the reference is that now you are the angel to the world. That everywhere you go, you become his herald. Everywhere you go, you get the opportunity of pointing people back to him and saying, that's the real reason to live. He's the real purpose for the way I live. I'm not just odd or weird because I want to stand out. I am sold out to Him because I am His and His alone. When we allow His Spirit to fill our lives, it is so powerful. Now you and I are given the privilege of becoming His herald to the world of His mercy, of His grace, of His love, of His kindness, of His patience, of His forgiveness, of His purpose. What a great opportunity. Separated for a purpose. Are you glad you're a child of God tonight? Would you lift your voice and give Him praise right now? Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word tonight. Blessed be that name And we worship you forever tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Wow, I ran over quite a bit tonight. But you know what? I let you off early a few times. So I just tried to add it all together and average it out. Love you so much. Spend a little time in fellowship. Remember Sunday as our day of honoring all of our men, especially our fathers. Have a great gift for our fathers and all that will be here. Come and let's have a great time of worship. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.